Hello and welcome back to Sports Weekly. We're all here for once. Woo! Chris, say hi. Hello. Josh, say hi. Greetings, fellow pandemic sufferers. And Will, say hi. Hi. That's a nice one. Pandemic sufferer number one. Um, This is Sports Weekly. Welcome to the podcast. So we're back for another episode of Sports Weekly and still no sport to talk about. Also, it seems, but I think we've just about managed to scratch enough sport up to make an average podcast. So good luck for listeners. Um, Chris, how the devil are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, all things considered. Yeah, yeah I came to you first. I don't think you were listening, but you know, that's fine. You can, no, I was. Yeah, yeah, you can tap good. away on your little mobile device. <laughs> <laughs> Just preparing for the podcast. Uh, oh, right, yeah. In the last minute, I thought. <laughs> Twiddling his thumbs excessively. Yeah. You did what we all do and just prepare whilst Will's talking. That's, that's, that's ten to what I have. Pretty much. I just glance at my watch and say, yeah, I've got definitely got five minutes here. Yeah. Let's just look at my notes, yeah. Five minutes <laughs> of Will generous. talking about Alan Pardew and then <laughs> Ed, fully prepared. Yeah, um, yeah. Josh, you okay? Yeah, not too bad. Been, uh, you weren't with delivered. us last week. You were, you were caring for... For another a sick loved one yes and then today i've been delivering toilet roll so i've a christened myself pooper man uh to my <laughs> colleagues which uh nice i enjoyed today i didn't get much much response from it but uh yeah <laughs> so it's been, did, it's been an interesting day <laughs> did you sign every square sign every square yeah of the toilet roll oh every... uh i should shouldn't i i should get like a an in like an insignia like zorro and just put a P in the toilet roll instead of a Z. That'd be good. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, definitely should. Do it for next time. Yeah, just think about it. Uh, Will, you okay? Uh, yeah, all good. Uh, I was the opposite of Josh last week. It was a sick one, but I was on the podcast instead. Just, you know, priorities. <laughs> somehow. Somehow still with me. But, you know, it is what it is. We go again. Yeah. Are we all missing sport? Um, oh, what it tastes like. Yeah. Yeah, it's so weird. Like, um, I've got like a reflex where my thumb just goes to the BBC Sport app, yeah. and it's stopped doing that now. My thumb is like dislocated. It doesn't. I, mean, I forgot doesn't the work. app exists until earlier today when I clicked on BBC News and then realised there was a sport tab at the top, and I was like, oh, hang on. <laughs> I used to go on that quite a lot, and now I just. And, it's, and you know, when you when you go on it by accident, you think there is nothing on here. You're just yeah. reporting that. Someone has coronavirus, which Mara we know. We know today. It was <laughs> yeah, and it's a, it's yeah. amazing yeah. that, isn't it? People keep people, one of the most exciting things about this is it's just like every other day they're just naming someone famous who's got coronavirus and making it news. It's like, oh, James has got coronavirus. Oh, Bill's got coronavirus. Oh, Sam's got coronavirus. It's like it's not really sport, that is it? It's just naming people <laughs> who've got coronavirus. <laughs> it is not yeah. sport. Uh, also, I didn't realise that one of the cats that must partner has is actually a dog so yeah that shows how much oh, whoa 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 we can't just skip over that what one of the cats your partner has is actually a dog is that what you just no, said i'm only, I'm only taking the mic i'm only <laughs> to be uh, just completely obnoxious, oblivious to the things around me oh right, i see okay <laughs> i was i thought for a second you're being serious and uh you know swings around about what, what are you drinking will you've got a, you've got a lovely drink in your hand this is uh, well un- unlike you ragamuffins you rapscallions you lads of the hey. night I've had uh, my first beer ever during the podcast. Chris, as ever, is on his red wine. Um, well, it's, actually, yeah, you say I mean, this, but he's been on the IPAs, so that's not yeah, true. Yeah, that yeah. is true, yeah. yeah. There was one was... week when he went on the Coke, I think. 
Could be wrong. Yeah, but we're care. not allowed to do that podcast, are we? <laughs> yeah, that one went downhill very quick. We 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 um, talked a lot. Yeah, um, but you know, um, we've managed to scratch a little bit of sport. I think from today, um, we've got nostalgic sport, fake sport, sporting documentaries, sports quizzes in inverted commas. I think, hopefully, we're going to have done a good job. So let's see if we have, and let's get on with the podcast. So our first topic this week is a bit nostalgic because we're going to look back on the career of Ronaldinho, turned 40 this week, currently in a Paraguayan jail um, for, well, allegedly using fake passports to enter Paraguay, all to promote his new book. He says that he didn't know he was committing a crime. He didn't know that they were fake passports. The Paraguayans are trying to get him for money laundering as well. It doesn't look pretty, but... There has been a video that's emerged of him playing football in this prison, and he has still got it. I don't know what it is, but he has still got it. Um, Chris, I'm going to come to you first. When I say the yeah. Ronaldine, the word Ronaldinho, what instantly comes to mind? Uh, what comes to mind is my probably still my favourite player of all time, yeah. I'd say. Yeah. I mean, he was active at a time when I was probably about sort of 12, 13 so quite a impressionable age and getting into football in a big way and when I first saw him playing he just seemed head and shoulders above every other player that I was watching be it for England or week in week out in the Premier League and uh, certainly compared to Lincoln in League Two uh, it was like he was playing <laughs> uh-huh. a, a completely different sport it just seemed like he could, had complete mastery of the ball so like anything was was kind of possible whether it be that famous goal he scored for uh, Barcelona against Chelsea in 2005. The, Which the I still don't no understand that one. Like, I, I still don't understand how it. I've never really curved, seen anything like it before or since. No. Really. It was amazing. Like he just and there wasn't much space to aim at either, and he just got a little bit of outside curl off it as well, and then off the peg. It's amazing. Swaz these days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that that goal springs to mind. He just scored so many amazing goals that were unique. Like I think he's the first player I've seen who rolled it under the wall. Uh, oh, so the wall all jumped, obviously, and the ball. You put it right under them into the bottom corner. That was unique. Since then, I think I've seen Messi do it. Um, but Ronaldinho is the first, I remember. And then, obviously, we were just talking off air about his famous goal against England, which lobbed over the top of uh, Seaman's head in the World Cup. Yeah, oh, we weren't talking about that. So... Josh, you were saying that you thought, or still think it might have been a fluke, or at least thought <laughs> for a good time it was a fluke, but perhaps maybe not considering his ability. I don't know, my... If I was, if this was a World Cup year, and well, uh, I would I don't know. If it got into a discussion, I was bigging up England, then maybe. But uh, you watch it again and again, it becomes more than a kind of national pride thing when you're watching someone like Ronaldinho. He's just so special. He's just like a, you know, on Championship Manager when like the highest flair is like, is it twenty? Yeah, I might be thinking he is like. He's the only player to say, like, he's above 20. You can't get any more flair than Ronaldinho had. He's, his close control is just obscene. I think Messi said that, I don't know how long ago this was, but he said that um, he would never be the greatest Barcelona ever, play, Barcelona's greatest ever player because Ronaldinho played for them. And he learned so much from him that Ronaldinho will always be the greatest for him, which is a pretty big deal coming from Messi. 
It um, is. And, act- and actually, on the flip side of that, when Ronaldinho won one of his Ballon d'Ors, he claimed, how can he possibly be the best player in the world when he's not even the best player at his club? And that belongs to Lionel Messi. So, <laughs> so nice to hear that respect from uh, yeah, just two great... Respect. Love it. Yeah, it is great. Um, Will, off air, you were saying that um, what possibly one of the reasons that many young children got into football when he was in his heyday. Um, explain, explain, please. I mean, I was, I was just basically stating that the first time a lot of people, especially my generation, would have possibly heard of Ronaldinho really is the 2002 World Cup, as you've mentioned, mm-hmm. that goal. It was the first time. I, I mean, actually, I fell in love with a lot of the Brazilian players there. I mean, when you're a kid, you don't really know much other than your club and possibly your country. And so when England lose, it's like this massive, uh, massive, not loss, but massive disappointment. Like we've lost. Um, but then you sort of realise actually through the love of the game, well, it's actually through players themselves that you realise you don't just love your team. You you know you sort of fall in love with football, and you just remember that 2002 game, that yellow, you know the, the classic yellow kit, um, and Ronaldinho just absolutely stealing the show as he did, um, and just sort of proving that yeah, um, I was like, it was the hair, it was the boots, it was just as you say suave about him. Strong. For me, it was the smile. He just yeah. looked like he absolutely loved playing and that, football, and and that's and it's so infectious that it you know you can see it through a TV screen. Yeah, I think a lot of people fell in love with not just Brazil but Ronaldinho that day, especially my generation, and is possibly one of the reasons you just sort of love it. Also, as well, him and JJ Okocha are mates, and that just makes me happy. <laughs> PSG, like, that just makes me like imagine imagine having those two in your team. Oh, Imagine God, yes. if Bolton yes. had signed them both at the same time. <laughs> oh. I seem to remember at one point there was a rumour that Ronaldinho was going to be going to Blackburn around the time he was that. ending was his Benkic? career. It's yeah, that, under Benkic. Like Benkic to me, that, mm. right? ending, ending his time at AC Milan before he went back to Flamengo. I think there was a lot of talk of him potentially ending up at Blackburn. And that would have just been that absolutely really, incredible. That would have. I think if he came. I think generally he's one of the only players. I'm glad. It's going to sound horrible that I just never came to England because yeah. if you come to England, you get overly scrutinised. You get obviously biased, either loved or hated in the media. To where there's going to be even there's a, a minority would turn into quite large numbers of people going, oh, he was overrated. Oh, he was this. No, he was that. And yeah, there's a lot of speculation stating that you know in Brazil, in certain places, he actually wasn't that loved as a national figure. But it's just one of the. It's, it's like Totti. It's like Maldini. It's like all these players who never came to England. We we can always love the idea of him, or if you were lucky enough to see him once, he'd always perform most likely. And, and whenever he came to England, I mean that goal against Chelsea, as you mentioned, were just like, oh my God, you are now an idea which will never be tampered with by coming yeah. to England, by coming to the Premier League, by playing for like a United. Or a Liverpool or an Arsenal. Imagine if, imagine if Ronaldinho played for Arsenal. That would just ruin it for me. <laughs> that would have been a lot. Arsenal then putting him out to the left, trying to tell him, oh, no, 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 no. Just turn, turn him into a left back instead, like Lukaku yeah. Saka. Could you yeah. just like yeah. run up and down the line and then yeah. fail to deliver a cross for me? That'd be great. You need, just you do what Theo Walcott does. I've been really proud yeah. of Theo Walcott. Just copy him because he's, he's an Arsenal legend. Yeah. Cut these flicks and shit out, pass the ball. <laughs> yeah. I imagine Arsenal. Saying that as well. Do you oh, think that? Uh, <laughs> do you think that if Ronaldinho came along like last two or three years, he'd be as well regarded? Given that the kind of the success of a team these days is about 
how hard your team work. And he's he's never been one of those players who kind of tracks back because he's never had to because he's that talented. But I'm just wondering, would he fit in at like a, a Man City or a Bayern Munich these days, teams which just who, you know, operate high press? I just wonder what you guys thought. He play, did he? I don't think he played under Guardiola, did he? I think Guardiola came a bit later. So yeah, he left Barcelona yeah. in two thousand eight. So I think I think Ronaldinho had gone by the time that Guardiola came in. I could yeah, be wrong. It, it's very I, close to each other. But I'm, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a, a a wrong hypothesis now. So he's he probably has done. If Ronaldinho was coming through the ranks now and didn't have the stardom or notoriety or the World Cup or the you know, plays of the Year awards. I don't think he'd even getting close to a Pep Guardiola side. I don't think he'd work hard enough. I don't think he would listen most likely to what Guardiola had to say. I think Guardiola or Jose Mourinho would... I don't know if he was coming up as a player now from, I don't know, like a a South American team coming to the English leagues or playing under Guardiola or Mourinho, they possibly would take the love out of or the soul out of his playing style um, because they're both quite strict managers. Guardiola obviously wants that work ethic. Um, Mourinho obviously wants that live and die by my football philosophy. And I just think that if he was a child, he may have actually possibly never made it, which would be an absolute, I don't, I don't know, misjustice. It'd be horrendous. Because as you, as you rightly pointed out, Will, Ronaldinho is probably one of the reasons many people enjoyed football so much. He definitely was for me, and I think I think it was you, Josh, that said that that his, his stardom kind of came out the the 2002 World Cup and beyond. I mean, people knew who he was beforehand because he was so good for PSG, but he played so well in the 2002 World Cup, helped Brazil to win that World Cup, and then got his move to Barcelona in 2003. And from there, was just absolutely incredible at Barcelona for the five year period he was there. Now. Obviously, Barcelona's scoring stats have changed massively. Scoring stats worldwide in football have changed massively. And it's only you're only good if you've scored, I don't know, <laughs> one in every one and a half games th- these days because the likes of Messi, Ronaldo, all of those kind of people. But at Barcelona, he scored 70 goals in 145 games, which, as an attacking midfielder, is, is absolutely incredible. Not to mention the amount of assists he got. Not to mention the amount of brilliant skills he showed the 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 brilliance he showed in that Barcelona team in general the fight the desire because you often think of these flair type players of being those players that can so easily be knocked off a ball and yet everything you watch about Ronaldinho he doesn't get knocked off the ball at any point he's so strong when he's on the ball thinking of that amazing that a goal he scored against Chelsea where John Terry just bounces off him yeah. He tries to take him out and he just he just bounces off and out and then uh, Ronaldinho shifts to the right and absolutely lashes it in at the, at the near post. And that was something which struck me about that particular clip was his strength, which was also underrated, I think, because people... But it's, it's, it's the type of... of not having it's, the, it's the type of thing he did where he just would stop on the ball. He would just mm-hmm. literally stop. And it looked like he'd have the most time in the world. There's one in particular, and I can't remember who it was against, it might have been Real Madrid. It might have been Liverpool in the Champions League. I can't actually remember who it was against, but he he got control of the ball and he just literally stopped, waited, mm. and Ludovic Juli, um, 
made a run and from a standing position he played this amazing pass over the top of four defenders curled mm. straight onto um julie's left foot and he volleyed it into into the net and it was just incredible but things like that was just he just saw things um one skill in particular which i know he didn't invent it wasn't his skill but he he perfected it and it became synonymous with him was was i think they call it the flip-flop the flip-flap yeah I don't know what you call it, but oh, so outside good. of outside of one foot and instantly the so inside of the same foot to to wrong foot a defender and go past them and that for me is just is ronaldinho yeah, and it was yeah. like every kid tried to do that when they saw him do it it was just and everyone failed everyone, <laughs> literally yeah. no one could do it and the one time you do it you'd do it right and the ball would end up about 15 yards in front of you and you'd, lo- you'd have lost it anyway in a normal game. Still <laughs> like, oh my God, I just did it. After it. it <laughs> but it's just the fact that as well, you've, you've just raised a really good point there in regards of wh- where did South America go from... So, I mean, yeah, where did South America players go from Ronaldinho so good with the ball that he would still make a physical but skillful balance when taking on a defender. If a defender goes in, Ronaldinho had this skill and essence about him to somehow manipulate the ball round the defender with, you know, getting physical contact from the opposition player, standing up, cracking on and being so hungry to go toward the goal that nothing other than getting toward the goal would stop him unless taking him down. Whereas then this idea of, you know, unfortunately look at players like Neymar, like Suarez, where, you know, it, they may be incredibly impressive players, some of the best players that may ever grace the game, but who would just go down with with the contact? Or Ronaldo would Ronaldinho would stay up, and I think that just sort of makes you love him even further. Whereas if he did start going down, there would be questions in regards to going. Yeah, he was good, but the one thing that would ruin his game was the diving. But we don't yeah. have that argument about Ronaldinho, which yeah, just no. proves again how he's beaten all these stereotypes. Of a South American, but he was yeah, it was just superb. He, he, he was, is, he, was yeah. he was incredible. I just think everything about his footballing ability, and even when he went back to Brazil, and he, yeah, he, he probably knew that it wasn't going to be as as competitive as it was in Spain or Italy. But he went back to Brazil and still was brilliant. As Chris said, win the, like the, a Copa Libertadores. Yeah, yeah, like, it, quite, quite a decent age by that point as well. yeah but it was things yeah, that were still coming out like his career there yeah but it was still the things place, coming out yeah. like you said chris about his free kick under the wall which was i think was in brazil for atletico miniero um it's things like okay. that that he was yeah. still so innovative and still just constantly thinking about how to how to beat a player or how to beat a team or yeah. the show that he could put on whilst whilst playing football i think you're right and that will touch on it earlier when he said we were talking about Guardiola because I think he was kind of fortunate in a way that he was under Rijkaard at Barcelona who would indulge him allowing that because he could win a game for him. Whereas, yeah. like you say, in the more strict managers now, he maybe wouldn't have had that chance. But because um, And those goal stats you mentioned, he, he gave so more than statistics did, but he wasn't the main... There was people like uh, Samuel Eto'o and Good Johnson and people like that around too. Was he playing the, same, the main strikers? The same so, time as Ibrahimovic or Thierry Henry? Um, I can't remember. I feel like Ibrahimovic was before. Henry, yes, yeah. Messi was, was on. Messi just started to come on the scene, hadn't he? 
I think. Yeah. Well, well, Ronaldinho was the person who assisted Messi's first goal, which was a lovely almost passing of the baton, wasn't it, between yeah. between mm. the two players? And, oh, and okay. the other thing I was going to mention was that only three players have been applauded off at the Bernabeu at the oh, competition yeah. Barcelona. <laughs> one's Maradona, one's Ronaldinho, and one's uh, Iniesta. So to be in the company of those other two greats just shows the uh, status he deserves to be held in. Yeah, well, exactly. But I think the game in particular, he scored a hat-trick, didn't he? Yeah, in that, to get that ovation, he did, yeah. 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 One of the Which, goals he took five it from... Five or six-two, I think. Yeah. yeah, one of the goals he took it from like, the halfway line and just absolutely destroyed their, their right back. Um, which I think it was at the time, I can't think. But, was it Ramos? Yeah. Was it a young Ramos? Yeah, I think it was Ramos, yeah. Oh, but that, but that's yeah. the thing. When you, whenever you watch these clips back, it's not like they're against nobodies. They're against the likes of <laughs> John Terry, Gattuso, Alessandro Nesta, Paolo Maldini. They're against the best defenders of all time, and yet he's making them look like absolute idiots. And yeah. and just so much close control. And it doesn't matter if they're coming to close him down because he's already thought about what he's going to do next, or who he's going to pass to, or who he's going to backheel it to. And it's not just that. It's the fact that he's got he had so much skill, and yet could still spray a. 70 yard pass directly to the feet of the player he's trying to aim for he, he literally had everything and and I, I just of course I'm, there's probably better footballers Messi's probably going to be considered the greatest of all time but for me as you've already uh, pointed out Chris Ronaldinho is my favorite of all time slightly behind Juan Pablo Angel I mean what do you make of my list <laughs> well, as, as one solid list of South Americans uh, <laughs> both with flair, both long hair, and both just as good as each other. Josh, agree? Oh yeah, totally. Um, and you know, didn't Angel have like quite an interesting hairstyle, which yeah. almost rivaled Ronaldinho? You know, yeah, that's, that's what he was going for. A, it wasn't in a um, ponytail; it was headband and out of his eyes. Yeah. The only thing Angel Milan Barros. Yeah, Milan oh. But when Milan. when Juan Pablo started to cut his hair, that's when he started to lose his powers. <laughs> and his powers lasted roughly two and a half seasons. So, no, ju- uh, just to point out, let's go back to Ronaldinho. Um, won La Liga, won the UEFA Champions League, potentially won Syria. I can't, I can't remember. Won a FIFA World Cup, won a FIFA Confederations Cup, won a Copa Amer- Americas, won I think FIFA World Player of the Year two consecutive years in a row, was in the UEFA Team of the Year three years in a row, won the Ballon d'Or in 2005. Just some incredible statistics, most of which came at Barcelona. Um, if there's any criticism, Will, do you think it could be that his the peak of his powers maybe waned a bit earlier than, than, earlier than some of the absolute greats of the footballing world? Um... No, because essentially it's not really on his decision. You could say when he peaks, when he chooses to be a great player, whenever this. Because I mean, how old are yourself, then again? How old are you? Ah, oh, grand old twenty-seven. Sound, Chris? How old are you? Thirty. All right, Josh. How old are you? Twenty-seven as well. All right. Okay. So two similar age. Chris, just a bit older than me. Being, you know, obviously the youngest, the youngest, <laughs> yes, obviously. I'll be able to sell. Um, <laughs> no, but on, on a serious note, so what there's what there's only five years between us, but I think I can undoubtedly say that even though his, his career was 
so early on in my life. I mean, he was incredible in 2002. Um, I probably still have a love for him the way that you guys do, and you would have had more of an opportunity to see him. Yeah, true. To, to, to whether or not he peaked at what certain age doesn't particularly matter because I've grown up for a love and respect of Ronaldinho because of everything I've watched, because of what I, got, what I got to see when I was younger, what I get to see now, the videos that keep coming out about him to find out he did this in one game, he did this in Italy, did this in France, did this in... I mean, I personally love futsal anyway, and to watch some of the stuff he did in India, in South America and stuff like that is incredible. Um, no, I, I don't think it matters. I, I, I don't think it matters that he may have played a lot, played well when he was younger or played well when he was older, because... The love for him is possibly the same as the love that you three have for him. So, um, and that and that just proves how good of a player he must have been consistently throughout his yeah. career. And I think you're right to point out the fact that constantly videos are coming out of the great things he's done, and that is a mark of how good he is and how how good he was. Sorry, and how good he is still considered to be. And the fact that if you are talked about in the same breath as the likes of Messi and Cristiano Ronaldo with their goal scoring stats and the amount the the longevity of their career already, then I think you must be one of the best players of all time, without a doubt. And actually, to to go against my point, he was voted as the South American Footballer of the Year in 2013. And to think about at that time, the the great South American footballers there there were, I think that's uh, still a, a great feat whilst he was potentially coming towards the end of his career whilst at Atletico Mineiro. Um, the last point, for me, for Chris, uh, for Ronaldinho, sorry, is my um, well, my link for him with the amazing FIFA Street. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> now, FIFA Street for me was one of the one of the greatest sporting games of all time, simply because of how ridiculous it was. Um, game breakers. Yeah, I mean, it was just absolutely insane. Uh, but. Ronaldinho and some of the skills that were in FIFA Street that you could do were skills that he was doing all of the time on a football mm. pitch with 11 players mm. around him. And I, I don't know, Chris, I don't quite understand how he was able to do some of the things that he did on a football pitch. And I feel like I could try for years and years to do just one of the skills that he does and still wouldn't be able to do it as well with nobody around me. And I just don't get, Chris, how, how he's yeah. able to do them. It kind of uh, defied physics quite a few of them. And you'd end up watching them in like super slow motion to try and see how they were kind of physically possible, uh, which was which it was another reason that he's sort of elevated above a lot of other players because he just kind of pushed the boundaries back. Um, mm. I, I know Ronaldo, sort of the original Ronaldo, kind of uh, was doing similar with some of his dribbling ability. But um, that was more to do with pace rather than outright trickery. So... Um, he, yeah, it really was <laughs> was unique for those sort of things. And like a pass, I'm sure he did a pass using his back or something. Oh, he, he did as well. Yeah. Do that as yeah, well. Yeah, he did. It's, it's just the fact yeah, that, that he that was he turned round whilst it was in the air. Yeah, yeah. no, no reason to just then. Just, um, <laughs> yeah, it was it. Or he, it, he got it, it to the player, and it was yeah. it's a successful pass. Like you can't really knock him for it. So he there, really there did. A, he had such arrogance. Do, have yeah. you seen the clip where he he goes to take a bottle of water from the goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, so he goes to take a bottle of water and they've got a throw in. Uh, athletic, I think it's for the Atletico Mineiro and throw-ins can't be offside. He's like way beyond the last line of defence, throws it to him and just passes it in. 
It's just like that audacity. Like, who's going to try that apart from Ronaldinho? Who's even going to bother? Just that, that, I love that arrogance he has. That he was willing to try anything on a football pitch. I think there was one where, again, really unnecessarily, the ball went up in the air and I think he was there to control it. And for AC Milan, this was. um, Nobody around him, left back, completely open. That's who's passing it to. He just decides, right, instead of just passing it back, I'm going to jump in the air and uh, back heel it back to the left back instead. And for me, for any other player, for most, I've tried, I've seen David Dunn try and do a Rabona and fall, fall <laughs> over face first. For any other player, that would go straight out of play. And yet for Ronaldinho, it goes exactly where he wants the ball to go to. I could just imagine Sean Dyche like, having a coronary uh-huh. watching that if he was on the <laughs> sideline. Like, yeah. What so, I mean, doing? Under certain managers, yeah, under certain managers, oh, under, under certain managers, this man would have never been able to play football in the modern day. No. I'm, under... I'm thinking, I'm thinking Mancini, Balotelli esque will. Balotelli. Oh, Antilotti. Antilotti. No, 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 no. Remember in that preseason game where Balotelli tried something stupid and Mancini was like, no. Yeah, but, just, the, uh... but, you could, but when you watch Balotelli do it against a team in the USL or yeah. the MLS, it's different to watch that and be next to it. If Ronaldinho was doing that next to a goal, I can guarantee you Ronaldinho had done that a thousand times oh, in his home, in a park when he was younger, in training, and yeah. knows exactly what he's doing. Balotelli just thought, oh, this will be... He's probably done it a couple of times think, oh, this will be kind of a nice little little highlight. Ronaldinho knew exactly what he was doing every time he touched the ball. Oh. And that's it normally the difference. led to end product as well, didn't it? Well, yeah, well, exactly. Always. And that, there's, a diff- there's a difference between... There's a difference between a confidence and a cockiness. A yeah. confidence of how you play football and a cockiness of showing utter disrespect to the opponent like Bellatelli mm. did, whereas Ronaldinho was just ultimately confident in his skill. He'd earned the right, hadn't he? He'd earned the right yeah. to do whatever, oh, they want, whatever he wanted. What was that about? Whereas Balotelli just hasn't up to it now was, anyway. It was, th- it was things like his, his, his close touch and his, and his ability to... to with it, whoever was around him just try anything audacious and I think there's one again that springs to mind when I think it was Paolo Ferreira um, at the <laughs> new camp against Chelsea and he's literally standing as close as I am to this microphone about must be touching distance I think they are touching and he just flicks it up over his head and then <laughs> runs around him and carries on and it's like, what? How? how? How have you done that? And kept possession and turned it into a good opportunity for your team it was, was, was just incredible and uh, I just want one more thing from all of you, actually. Chris, where does he rate? And I'm going to ask each of you the same question. For you, where does he rate in terms of, in your lifetime, the the greatest players of your lifetime? Um, in terms of joy that he brought to me in terms of a player playing football, he's number one. I think in terms, yeah. it depends what your measure is. If it's in terms of all that ability and elevating the game in a statistical point of view, then you'd have to put him behind Messi and obviously. But in terms of inventiveness, joy um, and fun, he's my number one. Josh? I think, yeah, like you said, aesthetically, he's just the, the greatest player I've ever seen. The things he can do, I've, I've just not seen players do the same thing. And I think sport is a lot about how it makes you feel and Ronaldinho makes you feel amazing watching football. Like so many players, so many fans would buy a season ticket for him alone if there was not a single other decent player in the team. So, kind of aesthetically speaking, he's number one. But uh, Messi has to be better than him. Messi and Ronaldo—they've just 
they've just set the bar so high now. He's he's kind of way behind them kind of statistically. But I don't think it's kind of about statistics, really. He's the number one player to watch I've ever seen. Mm. And Will? Um, see, I'm uh, too much of a stickler for this type of thing. Because <laughs> like my, my favourite player is it is well... As in, as a, as a player, my favourite, well, the best player I think I've ever seen is Zinedine Zidane. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just because uh, I think it was a game against Brazil or Italy where he just absolutely, it was just a masterclass. He's just, I think it was the, I think it's the first time I've ever seen a player play football perfectly. Whereas mm. when you look at Ronaldinho, the reason why he was great is because he wasn't playing the idea of football perfectly. We were just. Uh, it was Ronaldo. It was Ronaldinho's world, and we were all just playing in. We were all just part of it, essentially. Mm. But as as a, a as an entertainer, yeah, it, it, he would be he would be top. And as someone who never thought, yeah, as 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 a person and as a soul in football, as an entertainer, yeah, he he'd be top. Yeah, and I think I'd have to agree, despite the fact that he couldn't perform massively on a cold Tuesday night in Portsmouth um, and was scared by the crowd, I think that he um, he has to be number one. For me, For as Chris said, for pure enjoyment, for, for footballing ability, for what he could do with a football, for, for, for how much he got me interested in football as well as a child. By far my favourite ever non-Villa player, he has to be number one for me. So Ronaldinho, happy birthday for this week and thank you for the brilliant footballing memories. So, with the break in sporting entertainment, a large quantity of the UK public have been turning to esports, and which has seen a massive rise in the amount of people using Steam, the um, online platforming uh, game platform. So, twenty-two and a half million people today, all at the same time, were using Steam, which just shows the the mass amount of people now getting into esports as a result of the lack of live entertainment. Chris, you watched, I want to say, um, yeah. part of the esporting entertainment over the weekend, which was an, a race in the F1 sphere. Um, well, let's just say replicating that of Bahrain, but not as we would normally see it. Chris, tell us a bit about it. Yeah, so obviously the Formula One season is currently suspended for the time being uh, with certain races cancelled. So one of the races cancelled that should have been run this weekend, I believe, was the Bahrain Grand Prix. Um, so instead, they, Formula One, in conjunction with, with some of their partners, decided to um, conduct a esports race around the same track, the Bahrain International Circuit, uh, on using the Formula One 2019 sort of PlayStation 4 game with each of the competitors using like a, a simulator setup, be it quite an advanced simulator that Formula, like Formula One teams use, or in the case of some drivers, uh, stuff, such as Stoffel Van Dorn, who's a driver in Formula E now, he was just using a 200 quid Logitech, uh, one yeah. you can just pick up at the local... Uh, sort of game store basically uh, so he was using quite a basic model um, so they were all competing against each other and it was quite an interesting field so there was some Formula 1 drivers such as uh, Latifi who drives for Williams and Landon Norris who drives for McLaren uh, but there was also some stars from 
other sporting spheres. So we had Courtois, the uh, Real Madrid goalkeeper, and Ian Poulter, who uh, golf professional on the PGA and European tours. Uh, and then we also had quite a few esports racers who have been doing this for a few years and have been competing online for uh, for a long time. So it's quite a mixed grid. And then um, they ran the qualifying session and two races of each race was 25% sort of race distance so about 15-16 laps um, and as you'd expect in the first race the eSport guys were very used to it sort of shot off into the distance and ended up taking the top three positions but then interestingly for the second race they reversed the grid so those guys who had finished well in the first race at the back and those at the back were at the front so then we had sort of Courtois and Ian Poulter up in the top five Second race, <laughs> but it really didn't last too long. And the the quality, the quality told quite early on with quite a few incidents and spins going on over the sort of first two or three corners, which kind of mixed up the uh, grid again. And amazingly, one of the esports racers was who started seventeenth was uh, leading the race by the end of like the first lap. So he immediately, <laughs> absolutely scythed through the field. So, so I think it showed there was clearly a bit of um, learning and a. And quite a significant difference between, well, firstly, the ability of those who aren't used to it at all. But but even between esport drivers and actual sort of racing drivers. Well, am I right in thinking that Max, Max Verstappen and Juan Pablo Montoya were also part of the race? Yeah, so that actually, well, that leads me on to the second one. So as well as this one, there was another race going on run by uh, the sort of journalistic and podcast company which actually launched this year called the race so they sort of sponsored and brought together this other one which was running around the indianapolis 500 uh formula one course and that yeah you're right that had one Pablo montoya in it um verstappen was supposed to be in it but he actually couldn't make this one although he did compete in last week's version which was on uh, around the nurburgring um and yeah that featured a lot quite a few real life drivers uh probably i'd say even more far more than the the Barclay Grand Prix event, actually. Uh, and that was run with four heat, three heats, I think. Uh, a loser's final and a grand final. So there's quite a few races in that one, which mm. I found that one a little bit more interesting. And I think the quality of the racing was a bit higher as well. So I quite enjoyed watching those. And uh, But again, similar story in terms of ability with um, the sort of eSport drivers being, being further up. Although fourth was a racer from the German Touring Car Championship, Junkadea who uh, drove really well to finish up there. And the actual winner of it, Van Buren, drives in the... He's sort of a test driver for Formula E, um, Mahindra's team. And he has actually got into that job through his eSport work before. So he's showing there's a bit of progression ability there for people to go from eSports into actual racing, which is yeah quite good, really, and quite interesting in terms of developing careers because it's a lot of money to race in motorsport, as you imagine. So you have to pay your way in. It can be tens of thousands of pounds to enter a championship for a season, if not more, hundreds of thousands in some cases. But you can compete online and effectively for free or a small nominal fee and use a 200 quid simulator wheel yeah. and then you can make your way to the top that way. So so it is, I think it's opening up opportunities really. And I think yeah. as this goes on, I think when actual sport does come back, they've kind of carved out a bit of a name for themselves here and shown that, these drivers do these esports drivers do have a lot of ability that is potentially transferable so i think and it's got people engaged so i think it'll actually boost it even once the uh, pandemic is over 
Yeah, and I think it's a great idea to to bring in people who have nothing to do with the sport, court, likes of Courtois, as you said, um, to then boost the ratings even more because it, people are going to watch it. People are going to be interested if real drivers against esports drivers, mm. against people who have nothing to do with the sport whatsoever. It's it gives entertainment you a for the point, crowd, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it wasn't just Formula One over the weekend that's been talked about or over the last week, I should say, because, Will, darts, darts has been on there. How, you ask? I know, I'll tell you. Well, Phil the Power Taylor and Raymond Van, Barn- Van Barneveld, not Van Barneveld, uh, Raymond Van Barneveld have agreed to stream a darts match from the comforts of their own home. Sponsored by Target Darts, and they want to do it um, for charity, I believe, and use their electronic dartboard so they can face each other and then link it up through, a, through an online network. Um, thoughts, Will? I mean, yeah, I can't lie. If you're from Stoke on Trent, you know yeah. who the likes of Phil Taylor, <laughs> which and and Adrian Lewis and the, and the boys and I mean every bloke who walks into Weatherspoons and Stoke looks like a darts player. So around these parts, yeah, this it'll be it'll be a great it'll be a great. Continuing to alienate that Stoke on Trent audience. Good stuff. <laughs> I mean, hold on, hold on. Let, let me do some words. Um, Foot Paraguay. There we go. Let's just alienate certain parts of the country. Cool. Let's become yeah, let's the most that. hated part of I kid, just let Ronaldinho go, man. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, no, it's, it's obviously a good idea. It gives like something your dad's on Facebook to do. Like they'll have a bit of fun with it. They may have more of understanding what an esport is. Now, even though it's not really an esport, is it? It's just two blokes playing darts. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's a good concept. Um, I just don't think. Because, I mean, why do people watch darts? It's to, like, 40% watch the two lads throw the errors and, like, 60% the crowd, the music, the absolute yeah. pandemonium of, like, 45 middle-aged, well, middle-aged, slightly obese men going absolutely crazy when they manage to throw a double and watching, like, a crowd full of, like, minions and Toy Story characters and people dressed up. Go mental. It's a good like working class sport, but I, I, I yeah, it, I, it, it's a good idea. But I mean, darts is for the audience. Uh, it's I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, don't I, think, think I think I'm I, I'm in complete agreement about the audience because I think that that it brought it at home when I think it was the BDO Darts World Championships in in like January. Oh, and, and there was no audience whatsoever. Yeah. And, and and the TV cameras showed it and it just lost all of that atmosphere and, and made it a much worse sport to watch without any of the audience there. So I think I'm in complete agreement there, Will. But then again, on the flip side, having two absolute legends of the sport playing against each other again, I think they've played against each other 83 times already in the past, but playing against each other again might also bring a certain audience back to it. As you said, people who can't get out and watch it, which is everybody yeah. at the minute, Dad's yeah. on Facebook. It's, I mean, it's, it's always a good idea. Right to do well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, and, yeah. and uh, fingers crossed, it's a, it's a good sporting event. And again, though, Josh, not just darts either, because there's been lots of things going on in the in the esports world, including Mesut Özil, Saeed Kalasinac, and Julian Draxler playing a little old game called Fortnite, um, which Mesut Özil is absolutely obsessed with. Seemingly, he hosts lots of <laughs> Uh, Fortnite casts, I think people call it. Um, have you ever played it before, Josh? I mean, I can't say I have. I'm looking really uncool to all the 
you know, the young kids listening to the podcast, I'm really sorry. You'll have to, you know, go to Will for your kind of youth advice that being the youngster on the pod. Um, You're no, 27. No. <laughs> You're 27. <laughs> Calm the fuck down. <laughs> I'm calm. No, I've never played it. And uh, I don't know if I was a kind of regular player of Fortnite, if uh, Mesut Ozil and Sheikh Kalasinac would be the people I'd sort of go to to watch, to be honest. It's a bit of a strange one. I wonder if the kind of, you know, if Mikel Arteta is thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to have such a job licking these players back into shape after they've just been <laughs> literally sitting on the sofa playing Fortnite for the past three months. I'd be, I'd be concerned. I'd be well, doing I'm, I'm really- pretty sure that's what Mesut Ozil does when they are <laughs> playing football is, anyway. Which would explain his sort of lethargy on the pitch. As yeah, which known. which was partly joke, but actually I genuinely think that's also what he does. I think that he goes home after trainings, after matches, and I'm pretty sure he's on, on his online gaming console playing those games and that his eyes are going <laughs> to rot. And oh, I'll tell you what, that, he won't be able to see a football. Do you think that clubs are kind of trying to enforce in light of... <laughs> esports or Fortnite taking over are they doing video training sessions in people's houses how do you think they're operating a work from home policy in uh, corona yeah maybe they all have to play fifa and kind of keep up their tactical nous and show what they should do they all have to play be a pro and it shows the arrow (laughs) where they should go and where they should be standing particularly those in central defense for arsenal who don't know where to be at any point in the game. I'm pretty sure that's what they have to do. Or uh, what is it now? I mean, a lot of them are just dancing, aren't they? The kicking toilet rolls, the dancing. Fred, I don't I get the Fred, toilet roll thing. I think Fred was spotted at Blackpool. What? I think Fred, the football yeah, player, was you're spotted right, in well, Blackpool Towers. I think he went to the Blackpool Pleasure Beach and the roller coasters up there. Nice. Hey, Brazilian, Brazilians don't give a fuck, do they? Like, generally, <laughs> there is about no the party, in the world. It literally is. All about the party. Um, well, Dean, I don't, I don't get... Val and uh, Fred goes to uh, Blackpool Pier. <laughs> I don't get the toilet roll thing. Like, what have I missed? I'm, I'm, I'm really confused so, about why I'm, we're I'm, using toilet rolls. To, to do kick-ups, because, essentially, there was that massive pandemic of people buying shitloads of toilet paper in Australia, which then came all the way over to England a couple of weeks later because of this quarantine thing. Then obviously there was a massive calm, you know, calm, calm the fuck out yourselves, people, by the government stating, you know, why are you buying so much toilet paper? And so one bloke decided, oh, what would be a good idea to spend positive, positive message with toilet paper and about the coronavirus and to stay indoors? So it's like, how many kids can right. you do with That's a toilet roll? Mm. Um, Makes sense. So it's not like gloating that I've got toilet roll and you haven't, and look, I've got the bottom <laughs> of one, and I've got six more yeah, back in my garage. No, because if I was going to gloat about if I if I was going to gloat about having toilet paper, I'd make a throne. Like not just like a couple of sets, I'd make a throne of like double ply toilet paper with toilet paper hat, toilet paper clothes, toilet paper watches, toilet paper, and then you know what I'd do with that toilet paper. I just I'd douse it in water, just not to be used again. Wouldn't even flush yeah, it. That is, that is how you uh, bloke. Uh, that's much the got, sort of upstanding it? bloke you are, Will. To get no, I'm, saying, I'm want... saying as a hypothetical. That's why I imagine Floyd Mayweather does with his money. I imagine Floyd Mayweather uses his money for toilet paper. What he yeah, well, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Uses his toilet paper to pay other people at the minute and uses his money for toilet paper purposes. Um, 
a big thing that I'm a massive fan of. Yes, I've seen all the toilet paper thing. Yes, I've seen the dancing thing. Don't care. Have you seen James Milner on Twitter, who is having a field day? He has been getting his ruler out and cutting some grass with uh, with scissors. He's been sharpening his pencils for his for his children. He has been um, organizing his tea bags into different days of the week. Um, it's been absolutely sensational and. I can imagine James Milner getting something out of this after he's retired, out of the whole boring James Milner side of things. I don't know, a podcast, uh, a TV show, something like that, a sketch show with James Milner doing various boring things. I, ju- I just see it happening. He's just absolutely hilarious. It's just like this idea of, um, so you know, like wrestlers and actors, well, no, we'll, we'll, we'll use wrestlers specifically. So you know, like, like people like what's called WWE and like um, this AEW thing. They are basically told, okay, here's your character, or they can create a character, um, and then they can become great. And like, you can have someone like really confident, cocky, and can speak really well, and is overly confident, and is funny, and speaks really well, like, like The Rock. And then you've got like boring characters later on who they try and create themselves to be something like an image, like I don't know, like a, a martial arts expert, or like a boxer, or like a dragon, or shit like that. I don't really watch it that much, but. Someone created this boring James Milner Twitter, didn't they? Yeah. And then all J- James Milner has just run with it and it's just <laughs> created something of its own. And <laughs> it's just so funny that everyone, also, as well, he's an absolutely top class footballer. Yeah. Everyone's going on about Jordan Henderson changing Liverpool's fortunes. No one really brings up James Milner enough. Like, obviously, Henderson's a bit injured. And if they get to, I mean, God fucking hope, please fucking hell for this podcast. That f- football gets back on. That if James Milner gets to wear the captain's armband when they lift the trophy because Henderson's injured, I think that's just duly. I think that should happen. Yeah. I, I think. I think. Just should lift it together. Yeah. Yeah. Without, I think, you know what? James, you know what? This Mil- is the James Milner. I love you, James Milner podcast. He was great at Newcastle. He was great at Manchester well. City. He was great at Leeds. Yeah. And you know what? Because with that boring, he probably would. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's sort of, uh, Will's, Will's right there, but he's sort of been a success wherever he's gone and he's sort of brought a bit of a winning mentality to Liverpool and helped sort of drag them from being under Klopp, from being a sort of sixth, seventh, eighth place team to obviously where they are now at the top of the table. So, uh, yeah, Milner's been a, a really large part of that. And like uh, when and they run to the Champions League final, the year they lost to Real Madrid, he didn't he get the most assists in the tournament or something? So it's... Which for the position he plays in is is quite impressive as well. So he's he's sort of uh, shown a bit of far more flair and creativity than people give him credit for. I think. It's just he's, yeah. yeah, he's an out and out good player, and he's all he can just. I mean, so versatile kind of, as well, isn't he? Well, yeah, yeah, you could. I mean, as as everyone stated, he's possibly played every position in the in his footballing career except goalkeeper, in which I think <laughs> Liverpool are. Four nil up at the end of the end of the season, and the goal yeah. just pop him for the last minute. Get out, because I mean, let's face it, is it Allison? Allison could probably play centre mid. Yeah, easy, easy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Got James there, the last minute, and oh my god, he just—you know how like we were speaking. I mean, he's the opposite end of the spectrum in regards to the nice guy scale, other than the fact that Ronaldinho is now in prison for most likely probably money, money laundering and forging fake documentation. You've got the opposite end where it's just like skillful. Flair, speed, excitement. You've got James Milner who just did his job, did his job properly, and was just great at it. And is such a lovely player off of it. And you can tell he still loves the game. 
just players like that we have an, infatu- an infatuation with, an obsession with. And I've just been talking for the last five minutes about James Milner. Wow. And what it does he get for his troubles? He gets a bloody boring James Milner account named after him on Facebook. Ronaldinho gets <laughs> he, even turned, he even turned that into gold. It's, Exactly. Yeah, at least he's owned it now, yeah. It's, yeah, been, a, it's been a bit of that. PR gold owning that and turning it into it. And speaking of James Milner, he was someone I always bought on Football Manager. And what was that you mentioned? Football Manager? Football Manager. Because it's been, it's had such a massive spike in the last however many weeks that at one point on a Monday afternoon at 12 o'clock, the maker of Football Manager, Miles Jacobson, or of Sports Interactive, I should say, um, he tweeted to say, why are there now more than double the amount of people who are usually on on a Monday afternoon at 12 o'clock? Go and do your work from home. Because so many people have been interested in buying it. Now, as Will rightly pointed out, free for seven days. And lots of people are now playing that and enjoying it. Um, Chris, Football Manager fan, ever played it? Never played it ever in my life, to be honest. Really? Uh, I'm probably the worst person to come to for this. (laughs) (laughs) By Chris, I I meant Josh. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm going to go full uh, full hipster here. So I liked it when it was Championship Manager, and then oh, when it changed to Football Club, Josh. <laughs> um, Josh, I'm going to agree, agree, like agree red with flag in front of a ball. Yeah, agree with Will and Josh. I when I said Josh, I meant Will. Will, football <laughs> manager. Save football it. Manager. Save this segment, please. I, I, I football manager when it was. I think it was two, 2004. He went green for a bit in regards to logo 2008 went red didn't it for some time being and now it's purple football manager is the single greatest game that has ever been created if you are a football fan that's what there are people (laughs) in like the nordic or swedish leagues i remember reading this some time ago and this is how much of a fascination i've got with it there are people who have got jobs based on their football manager knowledge players have been signed to professional clubs because of people's professional football sorry because people football well, knowledge. Countless, I bought Freddie Adu for numerous teams after <laughs> one season where he was good, just because I thought he still might have it because of football manager. Count, <laughs> countless, countless lower league clubs and clubs across the world use football manager scouting system because it is far more detailed than their scouting system can ever be. So they they use it and then sign players based on how good they are on football manager because. But because Football Manager are a private company that make millions and millions and millions, and all they do is go and scout players to then make it as realistic as they possibly can. And, and so I suppose, why there, wouldn't you? Why not? Exactly. Yeah. 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 I remember signing Nanny before he went to Man U for Chelsea. Oh, and he was incredible. Oh, no. I, I read, <laughs> you, know, you know, every year there's that Wonder Kids list that someone else has made because they've done loads of work on it first. He was on yeah. one of those lists. Same as Romelo Lukaku when he was at like. Andalette, I remember. It was. Can, we, can we just go through how like, incredible. I remember, like, I think it was, I think it was Football Manager 2004 or 2005. And I just went on this. I was, I was Portsmouth in the Premier League. I was only, what was in like 10 or 11. And I just thought, oh, you know, Premier League, this will be fun. Used to go on the big teams, then I thought, oh, this will be a big change. I'll go to a lower league Premier League club and I went for Portsmouth. Like, I'm not talking the days now where I go to like um, Serie C, D leagues in Italy. We go to like, San, San Marino, yeah. the club, and then try and make yeah. San Marino the country into a world force. Yeah, that's the stuff. <laughs> I went to, so I bought the, so I bought Mate Fernandez, Jefferson Farfan, Stephen Defoe, um, and. I just bought those three in midfield 
Oh, um, John Two McCoon as well. Like John, ah, oh, I McCoon. Like, and I was it was it um who was who was incredible as well. Like Simon De Jong as well was supposed to be this absolutely incredible football player and football manager. Never really quite made it, but there has been quite a few flops. I just remember buying like these players I've never heard of, and I just became like the most dominant thing the world had ever seen <laughs> in two years. <laughs> Oh, it, it was just it's, it's it's an incredible game that i've wasted i want to say wasted that i've spent so many hours on but invested is the word invested invested but Would you call uh, it one one admission to make josh is that actually my favorite football game of that ilk is actually probably championship managers 2001 2002 red disc yeah. oh, no epic. no spots so no good. little dots on the screen just text that flashed up when you scored a goal and the excitement felt when one when it went in and it, because it's so good that the people are bringing it back and they're making and remaking all of the teams as they are now with the graphics and the design of championship manager oh one you know what that would that would make me that would make me buy it That's so much nostalgia invested in that and it was like they the set phrases they'd use like you'd know your midfielders having a really good game because it'd be like uh, Raquel May is bossing, absolutely bossing the midfield this match. You'd be like, yeah, he's going to get a 10 at the end of the match. If you use that expression, he's having a great game. Yeah. I loved that, loved the commentary, loved it. Yeah. yeah. And those kind of games, I've spent so many hours on, as I've said. Now we've talked a lot about esports, and esports are massively on the boom because of what's going on. But man, I miss real sport. <laughs> Now, our final topic before our sporting games is all about sporting documentaries. I mean, we've got to have something to fill our time before sport comes back. And what better way to do it than to watch, probably on Netflix or Amazon Prime, a sports documentary. Um, Chris, you've watched a brilliant one very recently. Um, give, give us a good one that you've watched in the past, I want to say, two days yeah <laughs> yeah so i watched the maradona documentary which was on channel four on saturday night um which was yeah absolutely fantastic documentary i'd urge anyone even if you don't really have an interest in football if you just have an interest in culture or uh, sport in general or a kind of a an underdog sort of story that meets kind of <laughs> tales of crime and all, all sorts in there as well as the football itself so um yeah, it kind of starts off with this really amazing sequence, which culminates in Maradona's unveiling it as a player at uh, Napoli in 1984. And uh, there's absolutely like cacophony of, of people and chorus and cars beeping horns and 85,000 people in the stadium just waiting to greet him and being unveiled. Like, it's not like there's a match on or anything. It's just to welcome him to the city. And uh, that, the noise and of, of that sequence alone is was fantastic to see and uh he it then sort of one thing that i, I really enjoyed was uh, the footage of the matches i think there was quite a lot of new new footage sort of used there which showed we kind of focused on maradona so you sort of could see all of his sort of movement he'd make on the pitch his close control dribbling ability and sort of will to win and the thing that struck me about those uh sequences was just how often and he was just ruthlessly kind of trying to be split in half by every opposition defender, just trying to ruthlessly hack him down. Like it wasn't the same sort of refereeing we see today, where um, people are pulled up for that and cards given. Like a lot, a lot went on before uh, anything would be done. So 
him coping with that was was quite interesting aspects of it. Um, and the other thing was, I don't think it's really. You think of Napoli these days, and they're quite a quite a strong club. Like they're frequently in the Champions League. Um, although they haven't won a title recently, they have won domestic trophies in Italy and have gone quite deep into European competition. At the time, Maradona joined them. They were in relegation trouble, and he's effectively not quite single-handedly, but um, certainly mostly down to him, dragged them up from being there to two Italian titles, uh, an Italian Cup, and the UEFA Cup in 1989 as well. So it's it's a bit like if Messi decided to go to Bournemouth and drag them up to two Premier League titles. Like I know the game's different now and it's harder now, but. It really was an amazing achievement. And Napoli were in no way a fashionable club. And as the film shows, there was a big north-south divide. And in Italy, the trophies and were hoovered up by the big teams of the north, like Juventus, Milan, Inter, Roma. And um, Maradona sort of burst Napoli into that, the sort of dirty, sort of downtrodden, kind of southern Italian uh, club, where, uh, as everyone else saw them anyway. And he uh, he brought them up into... gave gave the rest of Italy a bloody nose, really. So uh, which he kind of suited. Never has a club and player suit each other more than Naples and Maradona, I think. And um, and as that also touched on the other side of life in, in Naples, which was he had, he basically fathered an illegitimate child while he was out there. Uh, there was a hell of a lot of cocaine being taken. Um, and that was... Uh, and enabled by his friendship with the Camorra, the Italian mafia of that area, who um, basically had him under their control to an extent. And as long as he he would go and help them by opening restaurants and bars and things like that, and putting in a putting in his public face there, and then he'd be repaid with cocaine and uh, being looked after wow. financially. Um, which is a really fascinating sort of insight yeah. into the the other side of of it. Um, after the movie, I was sort of. As it went on and after the movie finished, you kind of left feeling a bit sorry for Madonna, really, because he was kind of, although he was an amazing player and he was clearly um, influenced, he's quite easily influenced by other people, but he also spent the entire time having microphones shoved in his face with pe- people who don't have his best interests at heart, um, sort of trying to make money out of him or use him for their own ends. So, uh, so yeah, it was kind of a tragic tragic kind of film in a way but um yeah but so, it sounds interesting and yeah it sounds so, like yeah it really dug quite deep into the man as well as the player yeah, um absolutely one that you'd recommend chris oh yeah absolutely yeah like i said to anyone who has if you have an interest in football you have to watch it if you have any even if you don't then i'd fully recommend it to anyone wanting to give something different a bit of a, an interest a bit of a try and uh find out about it very okay. nice yeah. Um, Josh, I move on to you now. Your your most enjoyable or or the one that you've liked the most in terms of a sporting documentary, I believe, is not football based, but is in fact cricket based. Yeah, um, I'm intrigued at the moment. So, full disclosure, I'm two episodes into the Test, which is on Amazon Prime, uh, which kind of charts Australia's journey back from the Paul ball tampering scandal. So it opens, unfortunately, for an England fan on a real sour note and uh, us receiving the last ball uh, to lose the Ashes. 
um, which is a bit gutting. And you think, oh, it's not going to continue like this, is it? And then thankfully it rewinds back to the point where they're doing Australia doing really badly. So it's very much told from like an Australian's point of view. So you're kind of, so I'm coming at it like, I'm really enjoying the first two episodes and it's only going to get worse from here on in. So first two have been really good. High. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, it's kind of, so Justin Langer kind of takes over and you kind of really get a sense of, because I suppose it was a, a few years ago now, but you really get a sense of how much the ball tampering scandal kind of affected Australia. You see footage of, their Prime Minister at the time, Malcolm Turnbull, kind of saying it was a national disgrace. You see Steve Smith being kind of like frog-marched out of the country almost, kind of, uh, yeah, really like a kind of national pariah. Um, and they've got no coach. They start out at a real kind of the rock bottom, really. Um, you then kind of get interviews with Tim Payne. Um, Justin Langer becomes the, the coach um, with a kind of remit to basically not just kind of try and create a team that can win again but to rebuild their whole image to try and make them a team that Australia the Australian kind of people actually like actually are proud of to be um and Langer does it really well so kind of first two episodes he uh it's he's trying to kind of rebuild that confidence in a kind of team without Smith without Bancroft without Warner without his best players essentially um, and it, it, I think the, probably the most interesting thing about it is how well it seems to be going. So he's got this really good relationship with the players. They really respect him. He's really tough talking, like swearing all the time about how they need to fucking concentrate, you know, need to fucking do what they're told and all this. But they really respect him for it. Um, but then and you think, oh, they're going to they're going to do really well. And then. They, England absolutely hammer them in a one-day series, so they get like a record run uh, run score, I think, in a one-day international. And you think, oh my goodness, it's not it's not kind of as simple as just saying, uh, you know, I'll play really well, I'm a really good coach, and you kind of get an impression about how far they've fallen um, and how far they kind of have to come back. Uh, and then the the second episode is a kind of they're the first test series against Pakistan, and again you get this sense. Um, that things seem to be going really well. They kind of have this really nice ritual um, of kind of blooding in uh, like new, new kind of new people in uh, like Travis Head, it was his debut, but then they get, uh, they kind of scrape a draw against Pakistan, but then they lose the last test really heavily. So I kind of, from an English point of view, it's, it's not great because uh, we have a really big rivalry with the Aussies, but it's just a really interesting insight into how, difficult sport is really and how difficult test cricket uniquely is so i would recommend i will uh maybe have further updates for you when i finish the series uh, but, i think yeah. both of those the film and and that series um that you that both of you guys have mentioned already are definitely two that are going to be on my list uh will yours involves neither football nor cricket and is actually based on rugby so please explain uh, call it his proper name for me. Rugby. Rugby. <laughs> rugby. Yes, I think rugby. 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 Yeah, no. So basically, mine's the. Um, obviously, everyone knows the All or Nothing um, documentaries they make on Amazon Prime. They started with like uh, NFL clubs, and then they did that famous one with Manchester City. Uh, they they went into uh, the All Blacks, so New Zealand's national rugby side um and yeah so being sort of a 
I mean, I'm not the biggest fan myself, but you watch it and you get the same sort of in-depth, behind-the-scene, one-on-one video filmography or interview style that you do with the Manchester City one. But I don't know, hearing that New Zealand accent really just puts you to peace and puts you at ease quite early on. You get drawn in by the narrator, who's also the director, uh, Taika Waititi, who's also the one who did Thor Ragnarok or one of the Thors, but he's also a writer on what we did in the shadows or what we do in the shadows, which is really acclaimed uh, comedy. Um, I also recommend watching um, what we do in the shadows, possibly not that Thor one. I don't really watch that kind of thing, but no, um, it's really good. Like I, it, for me, I so I watched the Man City one. I thought, well, it was kind of involved, but you don't see the team in like the important matches. You only get to see what Pep Guardiola tells you. So you got to see him in like the FA Cup, which you can tell he doesn't care about that much. You don't really get to see his team talk in the Champions League, which is something I'd prefer to see, and for obvious reasons. But with this. Steve Hansen, is, who is their head coach, is fantastic. You hear exactly what he thinks, exactly at the time, just after the loss or a day after the loss, or, or you get to see the team's reaction. And I don't know how they did the camera angles, but it was so close to the game, it was ridiculous. You generally could feel every tackle, you could hear every command, and it was so enjoyable to watch. So the one I would pick out the best episode, to, like the first couple of episodes, obviously the British and Lions Irish... Um, uh, the British and Irish Lions tour. Uh, it's only every 12 years. It's when the British and Irish Lions, they cre- create a team out of all the best players in the UK um, and they go to New Zealand. As I say, it's only t- every 12 years and it is something absolutely happy. I won't sort of give away the result if you're going to watch it because it is something that I believe is um, really enjoyable to watch and you want you don't want to know the result before going into it. It's not like watching like, the results before Match of the Day came on TV. You want to... Um, Basically, it's it's national pride essentially. Like when they get to put on the black jersey, you can actually see it. Like before they go into it themselves, like these New Zealanders and these New Zealanders who have got Ireland heritage or Islander heritage, they're so calm, so peaceful, so they're giants essentially, and they express themselves in really calm ways. And then when they go out to the pitch, they're just absolute animals. Um, as I say, if you don't know anything about rugby, just just give it a watch for the emotional sides of the stories. It brings up great conversation about concussion, brings a great conversation about family, brings a great conversation about you know mental health and stuff like that. Yeah, and a lot of people come off well in it, whether you like Sonny Bill Williams or not, he comes off quite well. Damien McKenzie, I thought, was really really good, and Steve Hansen and his team were just were just great. They were just open and honest, and it was just nice to see a more in depth look of how, how it is backstage. And yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd just say if you've got a couple of hours and you just want to hear some calming New Zealanders just whisper into your ear. Yeah. Yeah, that is what it. I always want to hear because... Who doesn't? That is, I mean, well, exactly. if you don't want Sonny Bill Williams whispering into your ear, you've got something wrong with you. <laughs> so that is the third documentary added to the list. Hopefully I'm going to add a fourth one because my favourite is... Um, I, I love the Andy Murray resurfacing documentary, but I know that as a podcast, we've talked about it at length when it first got released. So the one I'm going to look at is uh, the documentary Sunderland Till I Die, um, which was a, a fly on the wall type documentary around the 2017-18 season uh, for Sunderland um, Football Club. Sunderland, for a bit of background, were had just been relegated from the Premier League the season before and were expected to be challenging for promotion to get back into the Premier League. Um, they'd lost David Moyes and had hired Simon Grayson, um, I believe. And it kind of looks at the uh, the setup of Sunderland 
and it's so obvious throughout the series that the football club is the the pinnacle of the city that it's a city that's slightly run down it's a city that's lost a lot of its industry and it's a city that massively cares about its football team um and as a city that to be honest where the football team doesn't award doesn't reward the fans enough um and so it was done by a company called Fullwell 73 who also I don't know if you guys have seen it filmed the class of 92 uh, documentary series which followed the Salford uh, the takeover of Salford City by uh, Beckham the Neville brothers uh, Scholes Nicky Butt uh, those kind of players and it's just a brilliant documentary it shows that the the struggle of Sunderland, it shows the fact that they were dragged into the relegation battle against all the odds. It showed the fact that they were then massively inside the relegation zone and struggling to, to, to get out. It showed the, um, the sacking of Simon Grayson. It showed the hiring of Chris Coleman, who many thought might then be able to get them out, but didn't, um, and showed a club that just wasn't good enough at the time and then subsequently went into League One with another series potentially on the way and lots of drama in the in the the the, the season the the league sorry the season afterwards in League One. Um the episode for me that really stands out is the one around the winter transfer window because it's just really interesting to see what a club is like when the transfer window is is in effect um, and the struggles a club can have when they've got no money to play with. When the owner, I think it was Ellis Short at the time, wasn't giving them anything. They weren't allowed to spend anything and he wasn't helping them get out of a situation that was impossible to get out without spending something. And they brought in the likes of Ashley Fletcher on loan and they brought in the likes of Kazenga Lawalawa, but lost Lewis Graben, who at the time was their only hope. And actually, I think lost him to Aston Villa because he went back to Bournemouth in, in January 2018. They were expecting him to come back. He didn't. He went to Aston Villa and Sunderland lost their only goal scorer and, and basically their only hope. And the rest of their hope was pinned on Johnny Williams, um, a, a tricky Welsh player from for, they bought from Crystal Palace in, at the end of the summer transfer window, but who, by his own admission, is massively injury prone. And this really makes them struggle struggle to tick and the episode in particular is really interesting because they talk a lot about jack rodwell who at the time was on something like well i'm not sure an obscene amount of money in the championship but was not coming to training was around the building but wasn't i don't think he was welcome at training from from the manager's point of view um but was also struggling to be sold because he wouldn't take a pay cut and and didn't want to leave Sunderland on a mutual consent because they were paying his wages um, for the contract that they had had offered him. And um, since that, a lot has come out about the fact that they didn't portray it correctly in Jack Robwell's view and, and, and whatever. And it all culminates in Chris Coleman, the heroic manager of Wales, kind of destroying his reputation slightly and, and, and taking Sunderland down who were already in a precarious position so it wasn't necessarily all his fault and the the owner wasn't giving them anything to work with but took them down and it ended in a horrendous scene between Fan and Chris Coleman who were just having a, a massive slanging match between each other and it was just so clear the passion in the city and that's for me that's why it was it was such an interesting documentary on such a a poor topic for a a club 
a the uh, the size of Sunderland and b for a club that's so important in 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 that northeast city. Um, four documentaries there that we've given you. I is there any of those guys that you've not seen that each other has talked about? I've seen that. I've seen the Sunderland Till I Die one. You know what? You mentioned Johnny Williams. Johnny Williams, and I think the only, one of the only good things about that documentary was Johnny Williams' conversation about his own mental health. Johnny yeah. Williams comes off so brilliantly in that documentary. Yeah. It really goes, it doesn't go said enough when he goes about how obviously difficult it is. He's, he doesn't have a girlfriend. He's got barely any friends. He's going through rehab, which is, you know, you so, loads of injured players say, oh, I would just want to get back in that huddle anyway, but I can't because mm. I'm not playing. And he just goes how difficult it was to move. Um, and he, he is, he, you know, he is a good player, obviously very injury prone. But there's that bit when he's speaking to, like, the, the psychiatrist and he just opens up and goes, you know, I need, you know, what does the club, what can the club do? They give him the psychiatrist and the psychiatrist, you know, with his consent, going, you know, this is a massive issue. Johnny's just like one of so many footballers who are coming through this. And the way Johnny Williams just explains himself really really goes unnoticed in that documentary which is ridiculous but if anyone actually wants to look at it that's one i think that may be for me the best thing about that documentary yeah. also the altercation with the fan at the end just it gets to a point where the fans going over to chris coleman and he sort of goes ah oh, you know mate it's just not sort of good enough is it and chris goes yeah 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 and then the fan says something which i generally believe chris coleman just overreacts to yeah, and, then and so the do fan, I. And I think I think it was the heat of the situation. And then the wasn't fan it? then overreacts to Chris Coleman yeah. overreacting. <laughs> I, and then I can't believe Chris, Chris Coleman took that guy. job. Like, yeah, yeah, no one can. If he'd, have, if he'd have waited for a few <laughs> more weeks, I think the Everton job came up afterwards, yeah, which which he would have. Stock was really high at the for, time. Had a good. He done yeah. quite obviously very well with Wales. It just seemed like a bit of a desperate move that didn't need to be desperate. It's a real poison bizarre. chalice, the Sunderland. Job. Yeah, absolutely. Don't think anyone would take it. There's no chalice. It's just poison. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, watched... I, I, I completely agree. The fact that he there was there wasn't much need to take it really, and I think he ended up up at Hebei China Fortune, or, or I think they were called. <laughs> and it just seems strange to go from yeah. doing such a brilliant job at Wales to accepting a Sunderland job, thinking you might be able to turn them round. But surely he realizes who who was in charge at the time. The fact that Ella Short was not liked by any Sunderland. Well, anybody with a Sunderland connection in the slightest. I think that was a bit strange. Josh, sorry I interrupted you there. No, I was just saying um, I saw the Maradona documentary, Chris. It was yeah. the the impression I got was that he was he was genuinely treated like Jesus in yeah. Naples and in Argentina. And yeah. that I, that has to go to your head in some way. That cannot be good for your kind of <laughs> to have like hundreds of thousands of people baying your name and not giving you any space I just no, it was his mental state I'm not surprised he took coke I'm yeah, really who, who would who would who would be able to cope with that I mean anyone no. of any mental state would struggle I think even if you're the strong mentally strongest person in the world so. I know and I know nowadays that you're gonna people are kept further away from you yeah. but he was he had no kind of protection at all he didn't his only have protection was around. the mafia I know, <laughs> and that's Which probably is... why they were grateful because he said at one point yeah. that People come into his house, and he really wasn't very happy about that. Yeah. And I feel like, yeah, the Camorra probably. And, and you write about dealt. the worship level as well, because people used to go to sleep and they'd have a shrine of Jesus and the shrine of Maradona mm-hmm. next to each other with equal status in their rooms and stuff. Like, really, is amazing. Too much for anybody to, to have on their shoulders. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Like, basically, just a talented lad from the 
from like a, a slum in Argentina slum, yeah. Who's, yeah, yeah. who's like made it um, big and is the best player of his country. But he's just a bloke. It was, yeah. yeah. Well, I, felt, I came away feeling, yeah, exactly. Uh, I came away to feeling sympathy for him, actually. Yeah, I did. Mm. So, yeah. 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 And I think that I'm going to watch that pretty much as soon as we end this podcast because <laughs> it sounds incredible four pod, uh, four documentaries sorry for uh, for you there enough hopefully until next podcast to, to keep you a bit busy <laughs> now that the sporting calendar has just gone out the window so it's game time uh, two games for you today one from josh and one from me josh it's your turn first so please explain your game and then we'll get playing so this game is called One Star Berating. So it's these are some one-star reviews on Amazon wow. of some sporting items. Uh, or are they? So I'm going to tell you what the item is, and then I'm going to read the review, and then tell me one by one if you think it's a real review or you don't think it's real. Okay. So this review is from of, of Michael Owen's autobiography. <laughs> and reads as follows. All I can say is, Thank God I wasn't driving while listening to the audio version. The book should come with a warning not to operate heavy machinery while or after intake. So, Chris, do you think that's a real review or no real? I think that's completely true. That's completely true. Okay, you can see it. Dan, what do you think? Yeah, I've got to agree. I think that's a real review. I think that's a real review. And Will, what do you think? I'm going to say it's it's definitely real, but just to be difficult, I'm going to say it's fake. <laughs> well, you've been difficult. It is a real review. It's yeah. That is a okay. genuine review. Not the only person who said that it was uh, alluding to the fact that it was incredibly dull and, uh, uh, you know, and the whole thing of what he said about Newcastle being an offensive remark. We don't need to go into that. OK, right. Uh, so this next product is uh, a teacup or some might call it a mug, uh, and this, and it reads on the cup, I support Arsenal, and this is the only cup I'll be getting this season. Oh. Okay. Uh, and the review is give, it gives one star, and it says, this cup is an absolute disgrace. What happened to the soul and Adams rock solid at the back? Vieira taking no prisoners. Henri, <laughs> the best striker the Premiership has ever seen. And there's three exclamation marks. The Invincibles will be turning in their graves at this mug's pathetic cheap shot. One <laughs> star. How many Invincibles are wow, dead? Wow, that is. Are wow. any Invincibles actually dead? No. <laughs> yes. Yes. I don't know. You tell me. So, uh, Dan, I'll come to you first. Do you think that's a real review? Uh, I think that's it's got to be real. Made? It has to be okay. real. That's, that's real. real. Okay, Chris? I'm going to say not real. You're going to go not real. Yeah. And Will, what do you think? I'm going to go because it's the second one and usually it's true and false in regards to the ratio of answers. I'm going to go false. It is false. Yes. Oh, yes. I've made it up. I've made it up. There was no really work, Josh, to make that. That was, that was great. It was a three exclamation marks. You got me. Does okay. the item actually exist or have you made that up as well? Uh, it, it, no, no, it's it's a real item. It's real, a real item, but a fake review. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good uh, creativity. Up that review now. Oh, thank you. You know, I aspire to be a, a review writer of the highest order. You know, <laughs> okay. Review writer of the highest yeah, order. Fake review. <laughs> okay, so uh, 
the third item is, uh, is pretty, you know, this is good gift advice for listeners as well. So this is a Man City puzzle of the Etihad, which is actually in 3D, which I don't even know how it works. It looked quite impressive, to be honest. So uh, this person has put, I struggled to put this together as the pieces felt greasy. It must have been all the oil. <laughs> well, I'm going to come to you first. Do you think that's a real review or do you think that's not real? I don't know because you love puns so much that you had the thought, this is actually <laughs> such a good pun. I you like to psychoanalyze my quiz and I don't like it. Because <laughs> well, he's too close to the truth, that's why I yeah. don't. Don't don't come to the party if you don't want to be psychoanalyzed, Josh. That's why I say when you come to this podcast. <laughs> um, true or false? I don't. Not do you love yourself that much that you would purposely put in your own joke, or is it something you've actually found and just thought I like puns? That's funny. I'm gonna say because I'm nice that you found it and you thought it was funny. I'm gonna say it was true. Okay, Dan. I think you've definitely made that up. I think that's a that's a Josh special. <laughs> okay, Dan's gone. It's Josh special. Uh, Chris, um, I think uh, I think it's true. I think you probably did write write it, but you probably wrote the review for the actual product. So I think it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I just I faked my own game. I just wrote yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I can confirm that I this is my work. I wrote yes. this. Not <laughs> <laughs> Well Brilliant. Done, that was good. That was a good that was a good joke. I like that. Fourth <laughs> review. Nearly there, guys. You're getting through it. Well done. Okay. Oh. So this is a review of a cricket box. Okay. So this review reads If these Oh hang on, I can't read it. I haven't scrolled down far enough. I do apologize. That's it, sorry. So if these are meant to protect your crown jewels, someone broke the glass threw them on the floor and stamped on them. Not pleasant. <laughs> I reckon that's true. Okay. That's the true one. So Will's gone true. Chris, what do you think? Um, yeah, true. True. Dan? Not true. Unreal. Dan's got it. Dan's got it. It's not true. No. I just made up some horrible... Balls. You, know, you, know, you, know, you know Josh angry, really well. Angry <laughs> <laughs> yeah, We spent too much time together. Well, we haven't that much. We haven't. Ah, I don't even like oh, the game. Right, go, final one. Final one. Um, and this is on Maria Sharapova's autobiography. <laughs> I have some opinions about myself, as you know, uh, which may or may not influence you in your decision. So, <laughs> uh, this is if you read this book yes. without knowing who Sharapova was, you would walk away thinking she was one of the greatest athletes of all time. She presents herself as some sort of superstar, someone who's gone through unprecedented hurdles. The biggest joke is she thinks she is Serena Williams' rival, which is absurd considering Serena has thumped her 18 times in a row. Right, I'm going to say this is true and you definitely wrote it as well. True and I definitely also, wrote it. Also, also, I, just, I was expecting to go something like, oh, yeah, I obviously, you know, I've made my opinions known about this person. And I thought the, I thought the review was going to be like this really shuggly thing of just like bitch in capital letters. <laughs> <laughs> I, I keep my reviews very, or is it? Chris, do you think I made it up or do you think? Uh, I think it was... I, I, yeah, it's, yeah, it's you, Josh, I think. It's me. Okay. Dan? 
I think it's your thoughts as written by somebody else. <laughs> it, you found it and thought, I'm in love with this person. You then contacted that person and realized that it was Maria Sharapova herself who'd written it for more publicity. <laughs> Someone else Dan, wrote it. you are literally reading me like a very easy to read book. <laughs> like Maria but, Sharapova's yeah, book. I, I found literally my spirit animal on Amazon. Uh, who thinks like me, uh-huh. writes well, reviews you like get me. get in touch with this person. I know, yeah, I, I think, think I'm going to so. follow them on Twitter because yeah. they're basically me. So, yeah, uh, that's, yeah cool. that is my Good. quiz. I think Dan Good. has really done yeah. very well there. Well I done, Dan. Smart. I got, I I got one of them wrong, wrong and then thought, I'm never getting one wrong again. So, <laughs> yeah, that's how it goes. Um, thank you very much, Josh. Uh, yes. Are you ready for my quiz now? Totally the, ready. This Absolutely. is a categories-based quiz. You are going to answer one at a time. I'm going to give you a category. And whoever is still standing by the end of it wins the point for that round. Um, So, a lot of them, most, all of them are based on things that we've talked about in this podcast. So, number one is all about the Brazil 2002 World Cup team. Obviously because of Ronaldinho and his special skills. You are going to name players from the Brazil 2002 World Cup squad. Okay. You're going to take it in turns one at a time. No repetition. If you hesitate for too long, you'll be out. And if you get it wrong, obviously you're out as well. The last person standing is the winner and gets the point. I'm going to start with Chris. So, Chris, you are going to name a player. Um from the Brazil squad, and we'll go round there. Chris, Josh, Will, Chris, Josh, Will, and so on. Chris, off you go. Uh, Rivaldo. Rivaldo is there. Josh. Lucio. Lucio is there. Will. I was going to say the obvious one and say Ronaldo. Ronaldo is there. Lovely haircut, if I remember correctly, at that World Cup as well. Uh, Chris, back to you. Um... Ronaldinho. Well, yeah, Ronaldinho oh, you know. there, yeah, yeah, De- definitely there. Uh, Josh. Gilberto Silva. Gilberto Silva was there, yes. Uh, Will. Cafu. Cafu was there also. I think, just going back to Gilberto Silva, I think after that he got his move to Arsenal, Arsenal. didn't he? It was. I think it was something to do with the, the World Cup that, that alerted their attention. Uh, Chris, all correct so far. Uh, Roberto Carlos. Roberto Carlos. Yes. Josh. Going for Dida. Dida, yes. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Dida was my one. Um, just because there's so many of them in Brazil. Fred. Uh, I'm looking for a Fred. And that's not gonna be one. I can't see a Fred. So, yeah. Will, you're out, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, Chris. Cleberson. Cleverson was there at Letico Perenense. I think that's how you say it. Uh, Josh. So, can I say he was a really big lad and he was up front. Uh, <laughs> really thick set guy and he scored loads of goals. Can I go with that? I don't know his name. Uh, yeah, I'm going to bow out. <laughs> bow out. Um, I don't know who you were describing, Josh. You were describing Adriano. Thank you. Oh, right. You know yeah, but he was I don't there. think he was there no. that no, 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 Julian Baptista. Julian, Julian, Julian Baptista. Baptista. Uh, That's what I'm describing. Also, also not there. 
Okay. <laughs> um, you could so you could have had the ones we missed out: Marcos in goal, um, Roque Junior, oh, Ed Milson, Ricardinho. You could have had Giuliano Belletti. Was there an Emerson? Um, no, there was no Emerson. There was a Junior, a Danilson, oh. Van Petter, Janino, Middlesbrough legend, Edilson, Luizao, Rogerio, Seni, and. Uh, a young man by the name of Kakar. Kaka. Oh, that would be the only 20 one years old, Sao Paulo. <laughs> Two Brazil at the time. Denilson was one. Uh, that's a point to Christoph. Uh, the next one, because obviously we spoke earlier about Phil Taylor facing Raymond Van Barneveld in a hopeful esports contest. We're going to look at the PDC World Darts Championship winners. It's originated in 1994 so you can have any winner from 1994 to 2020 obviously you cannot repeat anybody that said before but you can have anybody else that has won the title josh i'm going to start with you this time so josh please give me a pdc darts world championship winner thank you for starting with me uh adrian lewis <laughs> adrian lewis is there will uh, phil taylor Phil Taylor is definitely there. Chris? Uh, Raymond Van Barneveld. Raymond Van Barneveld is there. Josh? Is it De Gerwen? Oh, no. He's close. Give he is go. close. Have another go. Have another go. Yeah. I'll let... Van de Gerwen. Go on. I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll give you Van You Michael can't give Van Dirk, Gerwen. can you? Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll I'm not going to last much longer, Will, so it's, <laughs> it's, it's a moot point. No, it's all right. I was trying to give you more of a more, more some love. Uh, Will. Um, <laughs> I'm going to save one because it was really funny. But uh, Rob Cross. Rob Cross, yes, 2018 winner. Uh, Will. Uh, not a Will again, Chris. Uh, John Part. Uh, John Part, yes, the Canadian sensation. Uh, Josh. Your, I want your all of your darts knowledge. That's all my two Guess at two random names. And see how close you get. Yeah, three, two. Carry on. Oh, Fair God, we've got to guess. Okay. Uh, you can if you want. You don't uh, have to. Let's go with Ed Mielsen. Ed Mielsen is <laughs> not, there, not there. No. Uh, Will, <laughs> we come to you. <laughs> um, Blake, Blake. This guy's really funny because he had like, this massive, like, not really dark confrontation. But there was an issue that one guy like farted on stage, and like this is just the <laughs> really? epitome of darts. And it was like, oh, well, if I had this former winner was like, well, I've forgotten who it was against, but basically there was like an argument between this guy and the person about farting on stage, and he was like, well, <laughs> if I'd did it, I'd admitted it. Like Gary Anderson. Gary Anderson, yeah, it was either against Phil Taylor or Adrian Lewis. So pick your. I don't pick think your it was victim. against Phil Taylor, and that uh, might have been Adrian Lewis then. Fair enough, Chris. Eric Bristow. Eric Bristow is not there, I'm afraid. Uh, okay. He was the you BBC one, had, wasn't he? Yeah. He, the other ones what? you could have had. Uh, he was the, not the PDC, the W... The crap one. Yeah. Crap PDO. One. PDO. <laughs> the BBC one, the one with Wolfie and shit. Or WBO or something like that. Um, you could have had Dennis Priestley. 1994. Or Peter Wright. 2020. Was the only ones that we missed. Oh, were they the only ones left? Only one's yeah. left. So, uh, yeah, one or the yeah, other. So, good fair job. enough. Uh, I've never heard Will... of John Part, though. 
No, great oh, one. Yeah. John Pulled, Pulled, that one the head, Pulled that one out the bag. <laughs> uh, that's one each to Chris and Will. We come next to Cricket. Cricket is our next Ooh. one because Josh has mentioned a lovely uh, sports documentary about Josh was it the 2007 or the 2009 Ashes. Oh, the one I was, no, no, 2000. And, the one I watched was two, the last Ashes. One where we oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'm taking you back to the 2005 Ashes series. And I would like to know the England squad for the 2005 Ashes series. Again, same old time, but this time I'm going to start with Will. So, Will, any player from the England squad in the 2005 Ashes? Um, um, who's right? I'm gonna I'm gonna give you no, a no, post. no, no, no. It's all right. No, hold on. Um, oh, um, Michael Vaughan. Michael Vaughan. Chris. That's me done. That's me done. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> me. Yes. Uh, Andrew Strauss. Yeah, he's not Scottish, by the way. He's <laughs> somewhere else. Uh, Josh. Kevin Peterson. Kevin Peterson. Uh, Will. Right. Did Flintoff get a hat-trick in this one? I mean, are are you saying Flintoff? Because if you are... I'm going to say Freddie Flintoff. Freddie Flintoff is correct. Chris. Um, Simon Jones. Simon Jones. What a bowler. What a bowler. Uh, Josh. Ian Bell. Ian Bell. Will. Ian Bell. Um... I'm trying to think of fat fuck off cricketers now. Um, <laughs> who's got a fun name? Not side bottom. Um, <laughs> but, oh yeah, Marcus Trescottic. Marcus Trescottic. Yes. Uh, Chris. Steve Harmison. Steve Harmison. Josh. Oh man. Um, broad, but I know he didn't. I can't think of his name. The blonde-haired guy, swing bowler. Ah, oh, long. Bouncy hair. Anyway, yeah. Broad. Got it wrong. Broad is not there, I'm afraid. Will, uh, I'll tell you who you're of... thinking of if no one else gets it. Hoggard. Will. Hoggard. Can I have Hoggard? <laughs> no, Are we giving fine. him Hoggard? I didn't mind giving him Hoggard. Yeah, Josh, will give it to you. Thanks. Yeah, that's fine. Carry on. <laughs> will. Um, Old Captain. Him and Peterson had a mad... Uh, you know what? I think I... I'm only going to say this because of Kevin Peters, you know six-part documentary did on Sky Sports. Yeah. There was a massive thing about um, Andrew Strauss. Yes. However, Chris has already said Andrew (laughs) Strauss, and therefore that is incorrect. Uh, Chris. Geraint Jones. Geraint Jones. Josh. Graham Swan. Graham Swan is not on the list, I'm afraid. Oh, it's actually Giles, isn't it? Chris, you are the winner. (laughs) Congratulations. Well done. Um, you could have also had, I don't think anyone said him, James Anderson. Oh, God. You could have had Paul Collingwood. Paul Collingwood. Um, yeah. Did you say Steve Harmison? Yeah, I said Harmy. Yeah, so the only two that were left were James Anderson and Paul Collingwood. Um, Is Ashley Giles not in the squad? And Ashley Giles, but you, you already mentioned him to, kind of. In your... He's already given an answer. Yeah, he... yeah. and I couldn't <laughs> let you off white. I chanced my arm there, really, with uh, two second answers. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> yeah. But then you could have also had somebody called Clark. 
who'd come in as a cover for pace bowlers. And for who some reason, guy, Chris Trenner. say Clark. Crossed off. Chris Trenner. I need a full name. Clark. Just Clark. Clarky. Clarky. That's what his friends called him. So, who um, was the guy Clark. who took the sub-fielder who caught Ponting out and then yeah, resulted in remember. a tirade of abuse? Was that like Rob Key or something like that? No, it wasn't. I don't think it was anyone particularly famous at the time. No, no, no. no, no. Anyway. Right, next topic. Because Sunderland Till I Die was a great documentary, and Kevin Phillips is an all-time Sunderland great. Oh, um, sorry. We are going to look at the tw- top 20 Premier League all-time goal scorers now. Oh, Kevin yes. Phillips is number 34 on that list. So there are many ahead of him. So we're looking at just the top 20 and we're back to Chris to start again. Chris. Can we try and get them in order first? Yeah, you've got to, yeah no, you don't have to get them in okay. order. Okay, okay. Alan Shearer then. <laughs> Alan Shearer is correct. Top dog, 260 goals. Josh. Thierry Henry. Thierry Henry, number six on the list, 175 goals. You are correct. Will. Oh, I don't think he's second anymore, but he was second for a long time. Andy Cole. Andy Cole, third on the list, 187. Yeah, okay. I know he was second. Chris. Was he knocked off by Sergio Aguero? Sergio Aguero, fourth on the list, 180. Oh, uh, Josh. Michael Owen. Michael Owen, ninth on the list with 150. Will. He was knocked off by Waza Raza, Wayne Rooney. Waza Raza, number two on the list, 208 goals. Chris. Harry Kane. Harry Kane, 13th on the list, 136 is he actually? goals. He is, Josh. He's good, isn't he? Um, Fowler, is he on there? Robbie Fowler is number seven on the list, 163. Will? Uh, the high-scoring midfielder that should be on the list, Frank Lampard. Frank Lampard, number five, 177 goals, three behind Sergio Aguero, uh, and two ahead of Thierry Henry. Chris? Um, Les Ferdinand Les Ferdinand number 10 on the list 149 Josh Dwight York Dwight York 17th on the list 123 Will where are we in positions so we've got got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 9 and 10 so we don't have eight, but we have the rest of the top ten. And then we've he got thirteen on the mask 17. not too long ago, and I think he's eighth. Uh, Teddy Sheringham. Teddy Sheringham is eleventh, one hundred and forty-six. No, but you are still in it, Chris. This is good. We've gotten loads of them so far. Yeah, I'm uh, gonna go for. Oh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, Cristiano Ronaldo is... Didn't score that many in the Premier League, did he? Yeah, I'm, I'm I was just looking. thinking maybe he's he can not. make it on. He's 43rd on oh, the list, man. I'm afraid, Chris. So that's Chris out. Josh? Going to go Solskjaer. Oli going to score Solskjaer is not... In the top 10, he is 36 with 91 goals. So, Will, to take all the points. Can I ever go try and name in a few of them? Yeah. I mean, Ooh. as long as you get the first one right. That yeah. <laughs> um, so, the man who is constantly... Well, basically... Oh, I don't know how to explain this. So, uh, an, an unbelievable strike partnership at Tottenham Hotspur. Jermaine Defoe. 
main Defoe, number ah, eight. And Robbie Keane. Robbie Keane, 15th, 126. So, so far, we've not got number 12, number 14, number 16, 18, 19. Right, or so joint, I can I... only name two more. I'm thinking? going to try and guess the rest. Well, is Stephen Gerrard one of them? He I'm is, just, yeah. 18th. 120 goals. What's top stuff? Okay. Um, Nicholas Inelka. Yeah, number 16. Everyone forgets how early he was playing for Arsenal and whatnot. That was yeah. in Michael Cox's book as well, Chris. Yeah, so yeah. The, the, early, the early stars of. Um, he did in there, yeah. And Liverpool actually, and Arsenal earlier. And the reason why I knew Ronaldo wasn't in there because they made a massive thing of it when eventually he did it, which sort of proves, and I'm a massive advocate of this player. He's recently moved to Italy and wasn't really given his dues when he was playing for Manchester United. Romelu Lukaku. Yeah, he's like joint 19th. Joint yeah, 19th really? with 113. Wow. So the person he's joint 19th with, someone who got into professional football quite late, played at Crystal Palace. Ian Wright. Ian Wright, 113. Ah, uh, um, yeah. And the That's only true. other one we're missing, other two we're missing, is somebody who is an Arsenal, proper Arsenal goalscorer, and then Robin moved to a... Yeah, moved to oh, Manchester United and fired them to the title. 144 goals in 12. Yeah. And a Chelsea, I want to say Drop Leeds, that. Middlesbrough. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank. Yeah. 127 goals on the list. Uh, I think that point goes to Will. Yeah. So if I'm not <laughs> mistaken, that's two to Chris, two to Will at the minute. This yeah. is what happens when all you do is spend your life as a child watching Premier League years. He's paid off now, hasn't it? So, one final question. And this is going to take a while to scroll through if you come up with a name that I'm not familiar with. Um, This is based on the fact that I mentioned Andy Murray resurfacing, resurfacing as a documentary being brilliant. But I want any female singles title, uh, singles Grand Slam winner since 2000 so that's us open australian open french open and wimbledon any female title women's singles title i should say since 2000 and it's josh's turn to start um i'll go for serena williams serena williams will um what's her name uh who's, who's the one that josh doesn't like <laughs> <laughs> Is it Sharapova? Sharapova. Chris. She won one. Yep. Kim Kleisters. Kim Kleisters, yeah. Um, Josh. Justine Enna. Justine Enna. Lots and lots of titles in a very short space of time. Uh, Will. Um, Who is the one who... It's got the name of. There's a joke between. There's, there's someone called Wozniak, or something like that. Yeah, I'll give you that. Caroline Wozniacki. Yeah, because yeah, um, they take the mick out of him and the Apple creator, yeah. Steve Wozniak, or something like that. Yeah. Uh, Chris. Marion Bartoli. Marion Bartoli, yes. Uh, I believe she won the. Was it US or French? Wimbledon. Wimbledon. Oh, was it Wimbledon? Sorry, yeah, yeah. Wimbledon yeah. in 2013. And uh, uh, Josh. 
Um, I'm going to go for Simona Halep. Simona Halep. Yep. 2018 and 2019 winner. Um, Will? Which uh, Serena sister have we said? Serena sister. We've said the Serena one, yeah. We've said both, haven't we? Or no? No, we haven't. Oh, right. Okay, well, the other, the other one's Serena. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you that. Why not? The other one, <laughs> Venus. Yeah. Yeah, Venus Williams. Uh, this Chris. is all buys. Um, I think a Russian called Mesquina won the French Open. Right. I mean, this is <laughs> one of the ones scroll, that I was mate. worried about. But you know you're right. Anastasia Mesquina <laughs> yeah. in 2004. Good wow. shout. Uh, Josh. I'm going to go Naomi Osaka. Yeah, 2019. Uh, Will? I'm going to make up a name. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with Megan. And then... Um, Hanger. Yeah, Megan <laughs> Hanger. Yeah, won all four in one calendar year. Crazy. No. Uh, gone, Chris. Jennifer Capriati. Yes, uh, 2001 and 2002 was her was her big break. Josh, Bianca Andreescu. Yes, um, what she won though? Oh yes, that's it. In yes. 2019, the U.S. Open. Chris, um, Sanchez Vicario. <laughs> I mean, you're making me search names that I've not heard of before. Sanchez Vicar, have you just made up a name and we're seeing if it's no, she was called like a Sanchez Vicario. I don't know how long ago it was. Um, I can't see her since 2000, so you might not know. Yeah, I can see her now. There's a great, oh, there's a great sketch about one of these. Arancha Sanchez Vicario in 1994. Oh, that is too far. So, Josh, if you can name me one other, then you win. Win the uh, point. I'll go for Lindsay Davenport. Lindsay Davenport. You've gone right Lindsay to 2000 there, Josh. You've gone Ooh, on, the, right on the money. On, right on the, on the mark. Yeah, Where? Lindsay Davenport. Josh wins the point. So, I believe that finishes two to Chris, two to Will, two to Josh. And that. Just one to sad. me, I think. Oh, sorry. Two to Chris, two to jo- Josh. Two no. to Chris, two to Will, one to Josh. There we go. There we go. Got it right in the end. There we go. There's a good, there's a good, by the way, if anyone wants to watch it, there's a really good Mitchell and Webb sketch about Lindsay Davenport. Oh, okay. <laughs> if you've got time, give it a watch. It's really Post good. It on, post it on Twitter. We'll make sure yeah. everyone watches it. I'm afraid that's well all done, got Josh. with the games. Thank you to Josh. Thank you to you guys for playing. Probably thank you to me as well. Let's end the podcast. So that's all we've got time for, I'm afraid. Have you fellas enjoyed yourselves? Extremely. It's been good fun as always, yeah. It's been good. For the ratio of sport to chat, I've enjoyed it all the more, given that there was <laughs> great. I feel like for the last two weeks, we've done pretty well to get a podcast out without with minimal sport around. Yeah. We and I think over the next few weeks, we're really going to be pulling at strings, let's put it that way, and seeing... Seeing that what we can be, drag out from the gutter. We could make that into a sport, Sam, to be fair. We yeah, can make just, pulling yeah, strings a sport. Keep pulling strings, see what happens. Um, are we all back for the next one? All back next week? As long as we're not dead. Yeah. yeah. Wow, yeah. that went dark <laughs> quick. <laughs> that is true. But it was true, though. If uh, we're not here, Chris. we're definitely dead, everybody. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, too right. yeah. 
Without um, not wanting to cause alarm, that is the truth. That is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're not allowed out of the house. So what else are we going to do? That's, that's Stay the real... inside, baby. Stay inside. Stay indoors. Wash your hands. Stay indoors. Don't be an idiot and go to parks or beaches. And when everybody else is there, or Tesco, when everybody else is there, stay indoors. Um, and fingers crossed, something happens in the world of sport that isn't just Marilyn Fellaini getting coronavirus or Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain dancing upstairs or Meza Ozil playing on Fortnite, a game which is just terrible because if I'm not good at it, it must be awful. Hopefully, something good happens in sport and we all keep our fingers crossed because then we'll have something to talk about next week. So if you have enjoyed it, please tell your friends, pass on the pod. I was going to say pass the pod, but that sounds too similar to the Peter Crouch podcast one. So I'll put pass on the pod instead and tell everybody else about it. It's yeah, lawsuit and that kind of thing. So pass on the pod to your friends if you liked it and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Facebook. It's at pod sports weekly. That's at pod sports weekly. Or if you just want to tell us what you thought of the podcast, then email us at sportsweeklypod at gmail.com. That's sportsweeklypod at gmail.com. It's been lovely seeing you, fellas. Lovely seeing you too. Make See sure you, you stay safe, please. Day one of 21, done. <laughs> mm. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but yeah, stay safe. See you all next week. Thank you for listening. It's goodbye from us at Sports Weekly.